Uh, the reading this morning is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, and we're reading from uh, verse 13 to 23, is the escape from Egypt, the escape to Egypt, sorry. It happens uh, just after the wise men with the Magi have left Mary and Joseph. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The return to Nazareth. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, if you want to speak into our lives this morning, please open our ears and our hearts so that we may hear your word and respond to it. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, Christmas is over, and now it's back to the real world. We've been celebrating the joyous birth of Jesus uh, through our Christmas events. Um, We've shared the joy of the angels, the the eagerness of the shepherds, the perseverance of the wise men, the obedience of Joseph and Mary, and the peace of Christ. Such a peaceful scene, quite otherworldly, portrayed in countless nativity sets and, uh, and services. And now comes the storm after the calm. Our narrative begins by telling us that the wise man 
wise men have packed up their stuff and gone home, and that King Herod is out to kill Jesus. And the little family of Mary, Joseph, and the infant uh, are back in the real world, uh, ruled by a murderous king, and suddenly their future looks rather bleak, rather uncertain, and dangerous. And maybe like me, at the turn of the new year, um, our world does look a bit scary. Although the saviour of the world has come, we still live with treacherous rulers, um, and we can feel, and all kinds of other problems, but we can feel really uh, a bit uncertain about the future. More than ever today, I think we need the guidance from the one who sees the end from the beginning. We all have to make decisions this year, um, big ones and little ones, but we need him, only him, who knows what we're up against now and who also knows what we will face in the years and decades to come. He created each of us and he wants to be close to each of us. He wants to speak into our lives. He wants to guide us. Even those of us who've turned our backs on him. That's the amazing part of the gospel. The Bible teaches that the Lord longs to lead us. And he promises that if we seek him, we will find him. And he will show us the way that we should go. And the Bible also teaches us, as we've seen in the Christmas narrative, that God leads us in many different ways. He leads us through angels and through dreams and through stars and through prophecies and through prophets, and even through other people. People find different ways, both godly and ungodly, to guide them in their decision-making. And the Bible shows us that while God speaks to us in many different ways, so does the devil. He warns us that there are dark forces, dark satanic forces at work around us that would draw us away from the will of God. We know that Jesus himself, before he started his ministry, was tempted by the devil. He led him to a high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their treasures. And he said, all this I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. So how do we avoid being led away? Well, the answer is actually much easier to say than to live out. It is this. If you want to hear the voice of God... You have to obey the word of God and the will of God. You have to have him at the center of your life. Jesus' answer to the devil's temptation was, get behind me, get away from me, Satan. The word says, the scriptures say, love the Lord your God and obey him only. Well, much of what God wants from our lives this year is quite accessible through his scriptures, through the Ten Commandments, through the words of Jesus and the deeds of Jesus in the New Testament. Many decisions that we need to make are actually no-brainers because once we know God's word, we very often know what to do. God never contradicts himself. And if one of the choices that you face involves opposing the will of God, doing something that is clearly against the declared word of God, then you know that that can't be the way that he's leading you. If you want to make room in your life for God, then he will guide you. He will guide you through the choices and decisions that you have to make. He will guide you by his word and scripture. He will guide you 
through others who sometimes quite unknowingly say things to you that actually speak directly to the situation that you're in. He will guide you through your life circumstance. He'll make things clear to you just by the way things, things happen to you and, and happen if you listen for his voice. And he will guide you when you pray alone, especially if you take time to listen as well as to speak. And he will guide you when you pray with others as you share your concerns and your worries with them, especially if they're believers. But God's guidance, as we've seen, is conditional. It's conditional, as we've already said, on having him at the center of your life. If you're a follower of Jesus and the child of God, and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, then, as it says in the first letter of Corinthians, and Paul writes, you know, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere, he says, the spirit of truth, when he comes, will guide you into all truth. Now, I could go on all morning talking about God's guidance. It's one of my particular hobby horses. But uh, what I really want us to focus on for the next few minutes is uh, the way that Joseph, Mary's husband, responded to the voice of God when he heard it. It's a story of God's tender care and his personal involvement down to the finest detail in the lives of those who love him. The Bible doesn't really tell us that much about Joseph. We never hear him speak. Um, He just sort of pops up before Jesus' birth and quietly fades away again uh, while Jesus is still a boy. All we know about Joseph is that he was a descendant of King David, that he was engaged to Mary at the time when Jesus was conceived. Tradition has it that he was an older man, possibly a widower, but we don't really know that. What we do learn is that he was a righteous man who observed the law of Moses. We know that he was kind. Only a good and kind man confronted with the pregnancy and presumed adultery of uh, unfaithfulness of Mary uh, would be more concerned about Mary's reputation and well-being than he was about his own. We know that he was a carpenter, and it's assumed that he trained Jesus in his trade. And we know that he was a religious Jew. He was uh, committed to the religious traditions and pilgrimages and uh, things that the Jews did, Um, And he raised his family, he involved his family in those things. We can take it as read that that Joseph was well versed in the Torah, in the Jewish law, and in all the Jewish scriptures and traditions. Now, you might consider Joseph as a sort of marginal character, who only appears uh, on the scene during the nativity. I mean, after all, somebody has to lead the donkey that Mary rides into Bethlehem. Uh, Somebody has to find the stable where Jesus is going to be born. So why am I talking to you about Joseph at the turn of the new year? Well, it's because I love the person of Joseph, that's why. I love him because he's he's so much like so many of us, just ordinary people trying to live a good life, trying to remain faithful to God, trying to do the best for our families and our friends and our colleagues – And this new year, I'm thinking about Joseph, because like most of us, he's not called to be a religious superstar. Unlike uh, John the Baptist, he's not calling uh, the rulers to repentance or 
um, proclaiming the way of the Lord. And in that way, he's just not shiny. He's not a showy figure at all, is he? And during 2019, most of us, metaphorically speaking, like Joseph, will find ourselves leading our donkeys through uncharted territory, uh, wondering what the future will hold, uh, what it will hold for us, wondering what, how we will cope with the uncertainty uh, and the dangers that seem to lie ahead. Most of us, like Joseph, <clears throat> go through life playing what many might think of as very minor roles from a human perspective. Like Joseph, we are ordinary men and women trying to live, do our best. But the Bible teaches us that throughout history, God has chosen people just like you and me, like Joseph, to do quite extraordinary things. At the dawn of the new year, for many of us it's a time of reflection, looking back, uh, taking stock, reordering our priorities, asking God to lead us along the road that we will travel during 2019. And Joseph's story has some important lessons to teach us about facing the challenges of our futures in the next year. And I've highlighted three lessons against the background of three commands that God gave Joseph. The first lesson is that sometimes the future that you're preparing for is not the future that God has in mind for you. <clears throat> we first meet Jesus, uh, Joseph in chapter 1 of Matthew's Gospel. He's engaged to Mary. He's preparing to bring Mary home as his wife. In those days, engagements or betrothals were much more binding than they are today. In their world, breaking off an engagement meant going back uh, much more than just uh, giving back the ring and cancelling the wedding arrangements. It meant a full-blown divorce. It was a legally binding contract that tied those two together. So what Joseph expected for the future, of his future of settling down with Mary, raising their children, carrying on his carpentry business, until hopefully one day one of his children, one of his boys, would take over his trade and carry it on. What Joseph expected, well, what Joseph did not expect was weird dreams with messages from Almighty God. What Joseph did not expect was to raise a boy that he hadn't fathered. What Joseph did not expect was to be called by God to journey to a distant, hostile land in order to escape King Herod's hit squads. And what Joseph certainly did not expect was to become responsible for bringing up the Son of God and the Redeemer of the world. And what we need to take on board from the story is that God's ways are not our ways and that the future he holds for you may be not, not the future that you planned for yourself. The second lesson is that God leads, when God leads you in strange new ways into unexpected territory, you may be much better equipped than you think you are. We can safely assume from our narrative today that Joseph, before all this happened, felt pretty confident about his, his strength, about his skills, about his ability to get through whatever life had in store for him. He was a skilled craftsman, 
no doubt well-known, well-liked, respected, well-integrated into his little society. And then God spoke to him, and suddenly everything changed. I wonder what happened to Joseph's self-esteem and his self-reliance when God suddenly propelled him in this new, into this new set of circumstances. I mean, what can a local carpenter know about long-distance travel on the dusty and dangerous roads of first-century Palestine? What skills does a small-town tradesman have to outsmart King Herod's professional assassins? What qualifies such an ordinary man to protect the most precious baby ever born in history? What can a simple guy like Joseph possibly know about raising the long-awaited Messiah? As it turned out, Joseph was better prepared than he could have imagined. He was strong and brave, but most importantly, he was tuned into God. And he was obedient to the voice of God. We know that as an observant Jewish man, he was steeped in Hebrew scriptures. And from an early age, he would have learnt from the Torah and from the history of the Jews, that God has called people in many ways, in strange ways, through our dreams, through visions, through human prophets, through angelic messengers. So it it was kind of familiar to him. He knew that this went on. Joseph knew from Israel's long history what it meant to listen to the voice of God and to obey God's voice. And you will have noticed from our narrative that he received three distinct commands. The first was to take Mary as his wife. Now, he must have wondered whether he would be strong enough to withstand the public disgrace, whether he'd be strong enough to handle the rebukes of his family. But it is only by obeying God that he discovered that he was strong enough, only by taking action, by obeying he realized what strength he had. And sometimes it's only by obeying to God's call and actually getting into it, getting stuck into it, that you realize that God has given you what you need to handle the situation you're in. The second command that Joseph received from God was to flee into Egypt with Mary and the child. Now, he might have wondered whether he had the human, let alone the material resources, to undertake such a long and dangerous journey with a new mother and an infant. How could he provide for them in this foreign land? Clearly, once he obeyed the command and started on on the way, he found that he was able to look after them after all in Egypt. And in due course, he was able to provide, one assumes, very well. By the way, um, God sometimes provides for people in very odd ways, Uh, You may have experienced some. He certainly did. Uh, Scholars speculate that Joseph funded his family's sojourn into Egypt through the wise men's gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. I I love that thought. (laughs) The third command that Joseph received uh, was, uh, in his dream, was to return to Israel. Herod was dead. And his, uh, his kingdom had been divided three ways between three of his sons. When ordered to return to Palestine, Joseph avoided Judea 
because as we heard that the, 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 the son that was there, uh, the, the king, was particularly treacherous, as bad as his dad. So he settled in Galilee, which was ruled by a much better king. And that turned out to be providential because it fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy. So often something that happens by chance just happens to be exactly what God intended all along. But again, Joseph could only find that out after he obeyed the prophecy. So we've learned so far that, first of all, the plans that you have for yourself may not be the plan that God has for you. Secondly, that if you do find yourself in a new situation, you may be much stronger than you thought you were. But the third lesson is this. We must, we must hold all things lightly so as not to get so bogged down by the present situation that we're in that we fail to respond what God calls us when he sets us on a new path. I mean, Joseph was an ordinary guy from an ordinary family living in an ordinary town with an ordinary job. Now, I don't know whether he had a hobby or whether he played any sports, whether people played football in those days or whatever they did. Although he lived 2,000 years ago, I can still imagine that his life would have been so full that he could have easily failed to respond to God's call. He was just too busy. Now, you, remember, you may remember the parable that Jesus tells about the rich man and the banquet. It's, I think it's in Luke 14. And he, this guy calls a great banquet, and he invites all his friends, Jesus tells us. And the first one says, well, I just bought this field, and I've got to really go and visit it and see what it's like. And the second one says, yeah, I've got some oxen, and I've got to try those out and make sure they're okay. And the third one says, and I've just married a wife, and I haven't road-tested her yet, and I need to find out what she's like. And so they gave these excuses, really. And in the end, Jesus says, well, they were just failing to hear God's voice. And he had to call, of course, the, the waifs and strays of the world to, to, end, to come to the banquet. So when God invited Joseph to be the earthly father of his son, to provide, guide, and protect Jesus during the early years, and he, called him to, he actually was calling him to play the greatest supporting role in history. Joseph had free will, and he could have just refused on the grounds that he was too busy, too much to do, busy building my world, building my career. But Joseph was able to lay aside his other priorities. His long-term planning gave way to day-by-day responding to God's grace and guidance, never quite knowing what hazards his family might face next. Now, during 2019 here at St. John's, many of us who know the place well will experience some pretty profound changes as we seek to share and to prepare for the growing numbers of new brothers and sisters that will come into our community, into our church family. Many of us will be invited, perhaps for the first time ever, to serve those who need to be welcomed, taught, guided, looked after. And of course we're all busy people, but you know the saying, if you want to get something done in this world, you ask a busy person. Hopefully, not all of us, maybe hopefully not most of us will not be so wrapped up in our other commitments to consider very prayerfully 
whether God is calling us into new areas of service, new areas of new ways of building up his kingdom here in Blackheath and beyond. In my experience of the Christian life, I found that it's precisely those in supporting roles that have had the greatest effect on my life in bringing me to God and in building up my faith. It's not the charismatic leaders or the great preachers or the great writers that affect your day-to-day life. It is ordinary people like you and me sharing our lives with them, sharing our faith with them, being kind, being loving, supporting them, being there for them when they're going through a tough time. Serving others involves sacrifice, but it also brings great joy. You know the acronym, J-O-Y, JOY? It stands for Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. In that connection, I want to end this sermon by reading you a, a poem by Mark Green. He's the executive director of LICC. I never thought of him as a poem. That's the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. We've had a lot of dealings with them over the years. And the poem is called An Ordinary Joe for the Job. He needed a man who would take him seriously. His words, his ways, his priority. And Joe took him seriously. Rich enough in integrity to let his betrothed go for her presumed adultery, but quietly, kindly, and shunning a show. He needed a man who could hear his voice through the dark night of pain and make his master's choice and go against the populist grain. He needed a man who could move at the drop of a dream, trust nothing, no one, only the divine scheme. Stick to his girl, stick to his son, stay where he was until he heard from the one. He needed a man who could make his way in a foreign land with just the skills in his calloused hands. Trade myrrh for tools. Watch the river flow. Keep her safe. Keep the profile low. For that job, he needed a man. He usually needs someone, a woman, a girl, a boy. Sometimes a donkey will do. An angel, a few. He's always got something on the go, which is why today, tomorrow, he also needs you.